Faith is a difficult concept. It's like science on the one hand, and it's like opinion on the other. Faith is like science in that we can actually have certitude about the faith. But it's like faith is like opinion in that it's not demonstrable in such a way that compels belief like two plus two is four. Do you see how faith is like science in some ways, but unlike it in others, where it's like opinion, where nobody can be compelled based on the evidence, as engrossing as the evidence may be, and yet there's still always a possibility of doubt when it comes to faith, regardless of how certain you and I may be. Does that make sense, how faith is distinct from science, but also like science in its certitude. So the next thing, the next aspect of faith is how does faith versus science, how does it interact with ourselves, with our intellect and our will? So the way science works is we take in evidence, whether it's basic axioms like two plus two is four, or from scientific experiments, empiricism. We take in that evidence. That evidence is what moves our intellect to give assent. Assent is the technical word we use for being certain about something, for the intellect saying, yes, this is true. All right? So we have in science, evidence moves the intellect to give assent. It's a three-step process. Faith is different. Faith begins with grace. And this grace is given by God. And sometimes it's in the form of revelation. We call revelation a grace also. The fact that God sent his son into the world to teach us what is true. To teach us the faith. To give us the Eucharist. To give us baptism. All of these aspects are grace. Now, the next step, instead of evidence, it's grace moving the will. Grace affects us, and our will yields the response. And ultimately, it's our will that moves our intellect to give assent. So the last two steps of science and faith are the same. Science is evidence moving the intellect to assent. But with faith... With faith, it's grace moving the will to move the intellect to give assent. So in the spot of grace, in the place of faith, with faith, grace and our own will takes the place of evidence. So it's interesting. It's a two-way street. So evidence is something self-evident. It's, it's out there in the world, easy to see to be true. But when it comes to an act of faith, it's double-sided. God gives us the grace, but God won't make us believe without us. God doesn't work in us without us, not for our salvation. He freely gives, but he waits for our consent, yes or no. We can choose, if we wish, to have our wills say no to his grace and not make the act of faith, not actually give our assent. Does that make sense how science and faith are 
different, but they have many distinct parts. They end with the intellect and assent, but they differ in what moves the intellect to give assent. Yes? Head nods, yes. I know it's very technical today. But don't worry. We'll get, we'll get to the practical. So now that we understand the distinction between faith and science and how they work together, I want to move on to the readings and look at what Jesus proposes to the crowds, what the crowds, how they respond to Jesus' proposal, that's step two, and then step three is how we can respond if we're struggling with faith. So first step is, what is it that Jesus proposes? Now, if you'll remember, last week the same crowd was ready to take Jesus off to make him king because they were fed with this food, the multiplication of the loaves. It was so powerful that they were ready to make Jesus the king. But Jesus is not an earthly king, so he resists this. And instead, he tells them that this is what you must do to be doing the work of God, is to believe in the one whom God sent. Believe in the one whom God sent. So very different. And then it's so jarring to the crowds that the crowds then say to Jesus, what sign do you do? What work Jesus tells them the work of God is to believe in the one whom God sent. And they say, okay, what work do you do? It's like a pun. What work do you do to prove that we should believe in you? You ask us to simply believe in the one whom God sent. Well, what sign do you work? What work do you work is literally what the translation renders in the Greek. What work do you work work in order for us to believe you? Our fathers gave us the manna. So notice, Jesus is asking, he's proposing belief. That's the content of the work given for us. But the crowds, their response is not a good one. It's not very favorable. They demand a sign. Now, I don't know about you, but it's odd to demand a sign, especially manna, when you just had 5,000 loaves multiplied for you. What more could you possibly want if you can't understand that this man is something special after he multiplies and feeds 5,000 people, then I think you're missing something huge. So their first step to answer Jesus' proposal of faith and belief is to demand another sign, which is not a great beginning. And we're going to continue to see the response of the crowds disintegrate over the next three weeks. But we're not there yet. Instead, in order to give some insight into the crowd's response and the ludicrous notion that they should request a sign, I want to go to the first reading, the reading from Exodus 16. Now, there's a lot in that reading that we actually skip over. So this is how Exodus 16 begins with this test of the manna. God says, Thus I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions or not. This is what God proposes. So the manna, it comes down every single day and it collects like dew on the ground and they have no idea what it is. 
They literally call it, what is it? That's the name of the manna is, what is it? What is it is on the ground right now. So this manna, they take up every day. Only enough for that day. Because in the reading, it's omitted, but in the reading, if you read between the verses that were taken out, those verses say, when you preserved the bread, when you preserved the manna for the next day, it was completely corrupt and there were worms. It, it was destroyed. So you weren't allowed to keep any for the next day. It would be completely spoiled. Except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, God told them to collect twice as much. And unlike all the other days, the seventh day there would not be manna because you don't work on the Sabbath. The seventh day you don't collect anything. Miraculously, the double portion you get on the sixth day, that portion left over for the seventh day, that won't be corrupt. This is how God tests the people. And of course, what do the people do? Human nature, they go out on the seventh day seeking for the manna and there's nothing. But this is, this is the faith that God is demanding of the people. This is how he's testing them. And of course, what is the response of the crowds? What is the response of the Israelites in the Old Testament? It's the same. They still put God to the test. There's nine more times in the book of Exodus and then later Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's nine more times that the people test Moses in an epic way. So they clearly haven't learned their lesson. The response of the crowds to Jesus' proposal to believe in the one whom God sent is completely insufficient. He gives grace through this sign of the feeding of the 5,000, but their wills reject it, and we can't actually have faith with only grace. Faith is grace plus our wills receiving that grace. So then, what if we are struggling with faith? What are the steps that, the concrete steps we should take if we're having a difficulty believing what the church teaches or believing that God exists or believing any number of things? What are the things, the concrete things we should do? Specifically, what if we don't believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity? Well, specifically on that one, there's three things that I recommend. The first thing, we cannot come to certitude, not with science, not with faith, unless we do careful investigation. It's interesting. The certitude with faith is not just blind. It's not just something random. There's things that are given to us that we can investigate that allow us to actually get to the certitude. But we have to use the resources that God gave us. He works signs, for instance. He's multiplying bread for the 5,000. He founds this church. He inspires saints to live such lives that they're willing to lay down their life for something that looks like a piece of bread. There's Eucharistic miracles everywhere. One of my favorite is Lanciano. It's over 800 years old. And to this day, it's the Eucharist, when a priest was doubting, it's separated into five different globules. They're all different sizes. You weigh them separately, 
and they all weigh the exact same number. And then you take all five together and you weigh them again and it weighs as much as each individual globulate of blood. It's incredible. And these Eucharistic miracles are everywhere. There's one Eucharistic miracle that's bread, the appearance of bread, fused to literal human flesh on the molecular level. Now, how do you forge that? It's amazing. There are things that we can apply careful investigation to if we're having a crisis in faith. The one who loses their faith is not the one who never has a crisis. It's the one who never asks the questions, who never asks the right people, the right books. The person who loses their faith is the one who never asks. That's the first thing, careful investigation. The second thing is to receive the sacraments and pray. It's amazing what we do in terms of growth of faith when we actually participate in the sacraments of confession in the Eucharist. We receive these, and there's grace at all of these moments. So even if we're struggling, these sacraments can nourish our faith. If you're doubting and say, no, I'm not in a place to receive the sacraments because I'm doubting, don't doubt. I mean, you're doubting, but don't refrain from the sacraments. Those are the lifeblood. Those are the very things that can save you, that can protect you. Seek the sacraments out. And then third, have reverence for the blessed sacrament. One of the most outstanding things to me as a priest at my previous parish, the man I I respected the most, it would be so moving to me when I'd be in the blessed sacrament chapel and all of a sudden this man would not only get down on his knees but completely bend over and put his head to the ground. And this was a man I respected more than all the other men in the parish. He was a great friend and just a man of integrity. And to see such an act of piety on his part, it moved me. How could I not believe, right, of course I believe, how could I not believe with such a witness of reverence the man that I most respect getting all the way down to the ground to reverence Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. So our reverence does matter. It's important that we treat these sacred mysteries, if they are indeed God, we should act like it, right? And that can help our faith also. So those are the three things. If we struggle with faith, first investigate with books, saints, Eucharistic miracles, whatever is at our fingertips, Ask your friends, ask family, ask priests. Second is to participate in the Eucharist and confession and to pray. Those are indispensable to grow in faith. We need grace. And third, through our reverence. If we do something long enough with our bodies, sometimes our minds catch up. They understand the reverence we pay with our bodies, how we pray becomes what we believe. And through these things, through the great gifts that God has given us, may we pass from doubt to certitude so that we may see God face to face for all eternity.